Shalom and welcome everyone. I'm coming to you from Central Time tonight, which is awesome. My name is Noel Joshua Hadley. You've arrived at the Unexpected Cosmology, where lies are exposed and then tossed like a bad habit, and cognitive concurrence is celebrated as a good thing. Tonight's destination is shockingly still somewhat of a taboo topic, even, even among Torah seekers. Understand, I'm not attempting to be controversial. I'm simply not afraid to follow the breadcrumbs beyond the horizon, see where they lead. Our current destination takes us to the topic of serpent seed. You figure if the psychopaths and sociopaths, as well as the maniacs and schizoids who run our Planet of the Apes slave plantation would attempt to hide anything while attempting to entertain the very people they leech off of in the barracoon, then the father whom they worship, spiritually as well as genetically, would be on the top of that list. Tonight, I have two separate papers which I hope to cover, yaw willing, but also crowd willing. They both come from my latest book, The Angel She Desired. For whatever reason, the decision was made to skip right over the most important component of the serpent seed narrative, Satan's procreation with Hava in paradise, uh, as per Genesis chapter 3. But that probably has something to do with the fact that we did, we have covered Genesis 3 as a group in recent months past. Actually, come to think of it, a far more taboo subject will be hinted at, but not directly addressed, and that is polygyny. Just so everybody knows, I find that the polygyny debate to be lame. In every single instance that it's come up in social media circles, all those polygynist conversations for or against happen, all they happen to do is divide. Emotions get in the way. Suddenly, one's preferred version of Yah materializes and makes itself known. I'm not saying we can't discuss this afterwards or that people aren't free to disagree. Quite the opposite. All I'm asking is that we not let our emotions get in the way. When fact of the matter is, many of the patriarchs we find in scripture had multiple wives. That's just a fact. The 12 sons of Yaakov had four mommies. It's why, if you've been grafted back into the house of Yasharel, as I have, particularly into the tribe of Ephraim, you can call the Yahudim, or the Jews, brothers from another mother, as I do. Actually, I do call them that. Because it's true. The Yahudim are descended from Leah, whereas Yosef, and in turn Ephraim, his son, were brought forth from Rachel. So, debate all you want or will about Yah, uh, what Yah intended for Yaakov, as well as a plethora of righteous forefathers and, dis and descendants alike, David being one of them. But the following discourse will treat the reality of polygamy in ancient times as a matter of fact, not myth. It just happened. I'm just going to try to come at this from a very detached uh, emotional stance. I say this particularly because my readings of scripture seem to insist that Noah also had more than one wife, as we shall see tonight. I didn't make this up. I just happened to read from one text, and then another text, and then another, and in doing so, I attempted to put the jigsaw pieces together. I've been doing a lot of that lately, seeking out different books to see if the facts fit. And so, to start out our evening, I will be asking the question, which of Noah's wives landed onto the ark? But first, let's begin with prayer. Yahuwah, Most High Elohim, self-existent and eternal. These are dark days indeed, and yet you chose us for this hour. The hearing ear and the seeing eye derives from you alone. Perhaps we have only come to realize how dark these days truly are, because you have lifted the illusion and revealed them to us. Indeed, I never realized how upside down this world truly is until I discovered your Torah. Thank you for showing us the truth. Not simply the reality of evil which surrounds us, but also your word, your instructions in righteousness, the way leading out of Babylon and ever closer to the stride of your son, Yahushua HaMashiach. Teach us, keep us teachable, willing to learn, 
capable of realizing our error, and humble. May we not be found mismanaging your talents. May we be teachable. May we become repugnant towards sin. We pray these things in the name, in your name, in the name of your Son, Yahusha Hamashiach, and the Ruach HaKodesh. Amen. All right, quick announcement. And that would be official. We can begin. Quick announcement. We are starting our online Sabbath church on the seventh day of this seven-day week. I'm, calling it, I'm currently calling it the Diaspora of Yasharel Online. This was a long time coming, and I am very excited about it. I'll be par- partnering up with Rob and Michael, who are in the group right now. Uh, they Obviously, they frequent this Thursday Night Live group. We're all excited about it. While tonight's talk is more on the conspiratorial side, and I expect to keep Thursday nights as such, uh, reading from a smorgasbord of scripture within canon but also without will be a common practice on our Sabbath studies. To start out, we'll be reading through the Hebrew Gospel of Yohanan or John. No, I didn't say, you know, just to stress here because everybody knows that there is the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew, but we will be reading from the Hebrew Gospel of John. So I'm really excited about this. I will be discovering this with you guys. It starts at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Sabbath. By the time this video lands on YouTube land, I suspect we will likely already have met for our first meeting, but that's okay. This is a repeated event, and I only expect to make it through the first chapter this week. Another thing I wanted to not forget is a book drawing. And Dave, I did not discuss this with you. Are we capable of doing a book drawing tonight? Yeah, give me a couple minutes to get all the names together. All right. I've, <laughs> I totally forgot to uh, bring that up with him. But anyway, so hopefully everyone here, um, I dropped tonight's study into the room. The, uh, the many wives of Noah who actually landed on the ark, you have two options. You can read it live on the website, or there's a PDF file. I love PDF files. I'm going to be handing them out more just so people can keep them in their own personal stash. And you guys can read right along with me. Dave, let me know when you're ready. Oh, yeah, I should mention, tonight I will be handing out uh, my latest book, The Angel She Desired, which was just released with Sacred Word Publishing. And what we're actually, the material we're going through tonight is actually a chapter or two chapters from that book. Okay, I'm ready. Sorry. Do it. All right. And the winner is... Mike D. All right, Mike. <laughs> I just sent you the last. You you won the other book, and I I sent you the notice. I sent it to you, so uh, I have your address, and I'll get this sent out to you. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. This is called the Many Wives of Noah, who actually landed on the Ark. And if you look at it, there is a lovely picture there, an actual photograph of Noah and his wife. But which wife is it? We don't know yet. But there they are standing together, a very lovely couple. And Zilla, she also bare Tubal Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Naima. This comes from Beersheath, or Genesis, chapter 4, verse 22. Kind of a strange passage, don't you think? Moshe goes out of his way to mention Naima as the sister of Tubal Cain. For all, for all I know, Tubal Cain had any number of brothers or sisters, so why mention her? She must have been known among Moshe's audience, perhaps through oral tradition or in documents now lost to us. You figure somebody would have read that and then exclaimed, Oh, that Naima! Come to think of it, The context here resides in the realm of genealogies, and when it comes to the sons of Sheth and the sons of Cain, something tells me Moshe is once again being cautious. The topic at hand is serpent seed, meaning what I think he's saying is not for everyone. Are you intended to hear it? Your reaction just may be the judge of that. You probably already know where I'm going with this. So. 
Why beat around the bush? The only sort of flip-flopping I enjoy is footwear. Naima was Noah's woman, but she wasn't the only one. You see, Noah may have had any number of wives. How many is difficult to tell. Here's the kicker, though. Two of them may have had the same name. Naima and Naima. As in, Naima the Shethite and Naima the Canite. I obviously don't have access to the Vatican Library, and therefore can't prove that to be true. But it's a hunch. And certainly worth considering. That's the sort of meals I serve around here. Food for thought. It's an all-you-can-eat buffet court, offering cognitive concurrence, and so I hope you arrived hungry. Really, though, having two wives with the same name shouldn't surprise anyone, as Cain's first son was Hanok, or Enoch, not to be confused with Noah's great-grandfather, Hanok, or Enoch. Most people overlook that fact that there's two Enochs in the pre-Diluvian flood account, or the fact that Noah's father was a Lemek just as Tupac Cain and Naima's father was a Lemek. As we shall come to find, though, Naima's father was also Enoch, Hanoch. Oh, the tangled webs we weave. Or perhaps we are simply dealing with popular names deriving from two separate bloodlines. Then consider how both Hanoch's Enochs had a city named after them. The contrast in Genesis are indeed incredible. The fact is, the Naima mentioned as the sister of Tubal-Cain in uh, Beersheath is important to the world we live in today. Unlike what we've previously been told, her descendants were not wiped out in the Great Deluge. There are two bloodlines on our motionless plane, and both descend from a Lemek. But how can that be so? Well, I'm about to tell you. It's why Naima comes into the narrative. Naima and Naima. The above emblem, if you guys can all see this right here. Interestingly enough, uh, th I think this just this week, Facebook changed their emblem to like an infinity sign. So I guess this paper is already outdated, but <laughs> so be it. The above emblem even tells us the truth in plain sight. Take your pick, either one, the Facebook logo on the right or the staff of Tubal Cain on the left. It may not tell you anything, but it certainly tells me something. The sons of Cain still worship their ancestor, and they ask us to participate in the ceremony. I decided to give Manly P. Hall, our resident occult expert, a little looksy-loo just to see what he might say on the matter. Hall didn't disappoint, as usual. Regarding Tubal Cain, this is what he wrote. The Mason must follow in the footsteps of his forefather, Tubal Cain, who, with the mighty strength of the war god, hammered his sword into a plowshare. Aha, see? Forefather. I didn't just make this stuff up. Not my forefather, mind you. Certainly somebody's forefather, though. At first glance, you might think it's strange that Tubal Cain would be the creative sort who first brandished the sword and yet managed to hammer it into a plowshare. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense on the exoteric level. Believe it or not, the 33rd degree Freemason was onto something, though. You'll see what I mean if you read this paper all the way through. On closer inspection, or introspection, Hall is reminding his neophyte of the Freemason axiom. Ordo ab chao, order out of chaos. Hall is essentially saying that Tubal Cain invented chaos, hence the sword, in order to create the illusion of choice and offer the solution. Shalom. If you've been paying attention to the media, that's precisely how the world works. And why overlook the obvious? Master Masons like Tubal Cain and Manly Pihal hate Yahuwah, the Most High Elohim, and yet they read the Bible as their field guidebook actually believing the following passage refers to them. He will judge between the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Yeshayahu, Isaiah 2, verse 4. 
you'll recognize the sword into plowshare quip. Manley was undoubtedly referring to Yeshayahu while speaking of his Facebook forefather. Also, this passage, this comes from Joel chapter 3, verse 10. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. I guess it's like what Lincoln supposedly said. Both sides read from the same Bible. The part where they pray to the same God, though, is the lie getting mixed in with the truth. As any straightforward reading in Deuteronomy 13 sets every reader straight. Nearly all of humanity is indeed not worshipping the Most High Elohim of Torah, no matter how hard they try to convince themselves otherwise. But that's another topic entirely. I'm already getting sidetracked. I simply couldn't pass up the opportunity to remind you that Scripture is literal in far more ways than we ever previously imagined. The Masonic elite slap us in the face with every passing day as we log onto the Facebook and deny the truth of their bloodline, Lemek, Tubal-Cain, and Naema. That's really the question that I ultimately want to answer today. Was Naema the sister of Tubal-Cain? The same Naema who Noah married. Moshe doesn't outright tell us. Therefore, I decided to turn to Jasher, sticking clues. And this is what I found. So where does this come from? This comes from Jasher chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And Noah went and took a woman, and he chose Naema, the daughter of Enoch. And she was 580 years old. And Noah was 498 years old when he took Naamah for a woman. And Naamah conceived and bore a son. And Noah called his name Shem, saying, Elohim has made me a remnant to raise up seed in the midst of the earth. And she conceived again and bore a son. And he called his name Japheth, saying, Elohim has enlarged me in the earth. And Noah was 502 years old when Naamah bore Ham. And the boys grew up and went in the ways of Yahuwah and all that uh, Methuselah and no other father taught them. You see what I mean? Two Naamahs. Lemek the Canaanite had a daughter named Naamah through his woman Zillah. And according to Beersheath 4 verse 22, while here we read that Enoch, the Sethite, had a daughter named Naema, and that Noah married her. Well, what if I told you that both Naemas were actually the same Naema? But how can that be? My best guess is Naema was only the adopted daughter of Enoch. Time and time again, we've seen how Enoch was a uh, Mashiach figure and that he was an advocate for the penitence of heart. Sure, maybe Enoch really did have a biological daughter named Naima. You've already been aware of that of the fact that I don't have a problem with two Naima theories. Such an occurrence wouldn't be peculiar. If anything, it would serve to contrast the children of Cain with the children of Seth. Perhaps Noah really did marry two wives with the same name. I do my best thinking, however, while speaking out loud, or in the case of this paper, while writing, and I no longer hold the two Naima theory. I've changed my opinion. Sorry for keeping your hopes afloat. There is only one Naima being written about by both authors, Moshe and the talent behind Jasher. And the explanation is simple. The sister of Tubal Cain was adopted by the sons of Seth. You will see where I'm gathering my newfound opinion in a little while. Just hang with me. Another observation I want you to make is the age of Naema at the moment of her union with Noah, 580. Guys, I was really excited when I, when I did the punched in the numbers, did the math on this, so hear me out. So she was 580. Noah was only 498, making Naema the daughter of Enoch nearly 100 years his superior. Highly unusual, wouldn't you think? I get it. These were unusual times. There were very few left on the earth who hadn't taken the jab. Hardly anyone remained pure in flesh. Noah was given slim pickings, or maybe he just had a hankering for older women. And come to think on the matter, why not marry Enoch's daughter? I would. You know you, know you would too. Likely at the drop of a hat. 
Jasher already tells us that Enoch's son, uh, Methuselah, uh, was made king over the whole earth after his father's departing. Seems like Enoch's daughter would be coveted by everyone then, by kings, dignitaries, and commoners alike. So why did she wait over half a millennium before finally taking a man? Why not marry Noah when she was 280 years old and he was only 198? And more importantly, why did Noah wait that long? Once again, Jasher tells us. So this comes from Jasher chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. Noah, the son of Lamech, refrained from taking a woman in those days to beget children. For he said, Surely now Elohim will destroy the earth. Wherefore, then shall I beget children? And Noah was a just man. He was perfect in his generation. And Yahuwah chose him to raise up seed from his seed upon the face of the earth. Noah was chosen by Yahuwah to raise up seed from his perfect seed for the purposes of replenishing the face of the earth after the flood. And we all know this. This tells us that he was a Sethite through and through. But as I've already pointed out in past papers, the writer of Jasher only gives us the sons of Sethite narrative. He not only neglects the serpent seed doctrine, but completely overlooks any mention of the angels uh, of El taking on the daughters of men. That doesn't make Jasher wrong. He's simply coming from a different angle, like practically every other writer of scripture. I mean, let's not overlook the obvious here. When it comes to Noah's three sons, the writer of Jasher has switched their order of birth. He says Naima conceived and bore Shem, then Japheth, then Ham. But that's not the order which Moshe lists them as. Here's what uh, Moshe says. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with Elohim. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Genesis 6-9. I checked. The Aramaic Targum presents the same birth order. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Genesis 6-9 Targum. Contradictions. So which is it? Was Ham the middle or youngest son? I'll leave, you to, I'll leave you to decide their order. Most will assume we are given a slip-up, but I'm not so sure I believe that. I simply resign myself to the mystery before us. We have to either conclude that the texts were aligned at one time, or that Jasher was purposely diverted from Moshe's narrative in order to grab our attention at what the scribe of Yasharel only hinted at. What I'm saying is, the order of birth may indeed encode a message. I stumbled upon another reference to Noah's wife in Tobit and thought it would be important to this conversation. It reads, Beware of all whoredom, my son, and chiefly take a woman of the seed of your fathers, and take not a strange woman to be your woman, which is not of your father's tribe. For we are the children of the prophets, Noah, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Remember, my son, that our fathers from the beginning, even that they all married women of their own kindred, and were blessed in their children, and their seed shall inherit the land. Tobit 4.12 Noah is included among Abraham, Yitzhak, or Isaac, and Yaakov, as not having taken a strange woman into his wigwam. Already, the case for Naima doesn't look good, as the sister of Tubal-Cain was certainly not from among the seed of his fathers. Must be the biological daughter of Enoch, then. It says they were therefore all blessed with their resulting children. Were they, though? The writer of Tobit undoubtedly knew full well that Ham was cursed by Noah. Though, if we're being technical, it was his entire lineage through Canaan which was cursed. Not necessarily Ham. Ham, however, never received a blessing afterwards, despite his brothers Shem and Japheth receiving a blessing. That would probably have something to do with the fact that Canaan was the result of sexual relations between Ham and Noah's wife. We may actually touch on that later tonight. It's kind of a big topic. In this way, Noah was certainly not blessed in his children, or rather child, through the strange woman. The only children whom he was blessed with came through a woman of his own kindred. The Book of Jubilees tells us who that was. Her name was Emzara, 
So this comes from Jubilees chapter 4, verse 33. And in the 25th Jubilee, Noah took to himself a woman, and, and her name was Amzara, the daughter of Rekiel, the daughter of his father's brother. In the first year, in the fifth week, and in the third year thereof, she bore him Shem. In the fifth year, therefore, thereof, she bore him Ham. And in the first year, in the sixth week, she bore him Japheth. Before you tell me Amzara and Naamah are simply two different names for the same woman, you will want to take note of the fact that Amzara was the daughter of Rekael, the daughter of Lamech's brother, whereas Naamah, spoken of in Jasher, was the daughter of Enoch. So either Noah married his grandniece or his great aunt. Can't be both. Also, we are once again given a different order. Imzara bore Shem, Ham, and then Japheth, whereas Naamah bore Shem, Japheth, and then Ham. How is that possible? It's not. Here is what I'm suggesting then. Imzara was the biological mother of Shem and Japheth, whereas Naamah mothered only Ham. You will claim I am still in error. As the writers of um, uh, I think Jubilees says, Emzara bore Noah all three sons. That's not what Moshe says, though. According to Genesis, it is Noah who begat three sons, not his wife. And anyways, Moshe later tells us exactly what it looks like for a woman to obtain a child through a surrogate mother. Follow along. This comes from Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's woman, bore him no children, and she had a handmaid an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto El Evram, Behold now, Yahuwah has restrained me from bearing. I pray you, go in, in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. The child was expected to be obtained as her own. Her words, not mine. Didn't work out that way, though, as Hagar didn't uphold her end of the deal. That being said, the story of Abram, Sarai, Hagar, and their offspring is a repeated event from what has already happened with Noah, Imzara, and Naamah. Hagar was an Egyptian, a child of Ham. Therefore, uh, Ishmael was a son of Abraham, and Ham just as surely as Ham was a son of Noah and Cain. In Hebrew, the name Naema means loveliness or pleasant. Contrarily, Emzara can be interpreted to read ancestor of Sarah. That's what Emzara literally means, ancestor of Sarah. Obviously, nobody would actually name their daughter that, would you? Would you name your daughter ancestor of Shaquana, hoping a great-great-great-great-grandson finally gets around to calling their child Shaquana? queen of the Shaquana people? The angelic writers of Jubilees are probably telling, telling us the sons of Yasharel can rest assured that their ancestral lineage derives from her, through Shem, of course, as opposed to certain neighbors of theirs who stem from one of Shem's brothers. Think, think serpent seed people. The same text introduces the names of his son's wives, too. Uh, I can't even pronounce this. Sedekita Levav, wife of Shem. And then you got Nat Ella Tamauk, wife of Ham. And Adatanesis, wife of Japheth. Okay, that comes from Jubilee 7. It adds that the three sons each build a city named after their wives, but that's just a side note. And now we get to it the part where I tie all the loose ends together. Well, not every puzzle piece. I already told you I decided to go ahead and write this paper without being able to deliver on the varied birth order. That problem, by the way, isn't simply my own. It's not a serpent seed issue. Stop blame shifting. Everyone who reads Moshe and yet agrees that Jasher is scripture, as I do, and regardless of our conclusion as to the identity of Ham's mother, needs to put our heads together and work on the equation. But I digress. It is the writings of Abraham, which once again meets the ancient writers and comes in swinging. So let's read. The writings of Abraham, chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. 
And when Noah was 450 years old, he begat a son, and he called his name Japheth. Forty-two years later, he begat another son of her who was the mother of Japheth, and he called his name Shem. Pause. We have already read how Noah was 498 when taking Naima as his wife. Now, however we see uh, that Noah was 400... Wait, let me repeat that. Now, we see that Noah was 450 when having his first son. His second son came 43 years later, making Noah a clean 493 years old. Clearly, neither of these sons were born through Naima. That is, if the timeline fits. So let's keep reading. Eight years later, Noah begat a son of his wife, Naima, who was the seed of Cain. And he called his name Ham, for he said, Through him will the curse be preserved in the land. The writings of Abraham 11 verse 3. So eight years after the age of 493, Noah begat Ham, making him 501. Again, according to Yasher, Noah married Naima at the age of 498, giving them three years to conceive and bear a child. The timeline fits. The slight difference here is that we are shown a swap of hands. Emzara birthed Japheth and Shem, whereas Naima birthed Ham. The glaring difference is once again in the order of their birth. Abraham tells us the order of children is Japheth before Shem and then Ham. What the huh? No other book that I have found paints Japheth as the eldest son. It's always Shem. Why is it that nobody can seem to agree? Let's put it this way. How is it that these ancient scribes can seamlessly copy one uh, text to another empty page and yet all slip up on their order of birth whenever a new book is introduced? I'm starting to get the idea that they're doing it on purpose. Again, don't blame shift on the serpent seed issue, as even Jasher agrees that Ham was the youngest. Reading on. This comes from chapter 12 of the writings of Abraham. Now, Noah had taken a wife of the seed of Cain, and she was a righteous woman. Nevertheless, the curse remained with her seed, according to the word of Elohim. And Noah took her on the wise, for the word of Yahuwah came unto Noah, saying, Take unto thyself Naamah, the daughter of Limech, who dwelleth here in the city of thy fathers, for she hath been faithful to my gospel. Wherefore I shall preserve through her I shall preserve through her the seed of Cain through the flood. This Lemech, who was the father of Naamah, was of the seed of Cain, being the son of Methusel, the son of Mahajul, the son of Erad, the son of Enoch, the son of Cain. The writings of Abraham 12, 1 through 3. If you've been paying attention, chapter 12 successfully accomplishes two things. One, that Noah's wife was indeed the same Naima whom Moshe spoke about. Secondly, that Noah's wife was also the same Naima who was accredited as being the daughter of Enoch. No, it doesn't outright say so. You've got to read between the lines and then ask yourself, why is a Canaanite daughter living in the last Sethite refuge? The text has already answered that question. Because she was a righteous woman. And who else was the mediator between Elohim and the penitent heart but Enoch? In the Meshelzedek tradition, it only makes sense that he would take her as his own daughter. But then notice something else. She was still the cursed bloodline. And now you know why Naima would not marry her Canaanite kin, and why, in turn, the Sethites could not permit themselves to marry her. Just as we have already read in Jasher, it would take Yahuwah commanding Noah to take Enoch's adopted daughter as his woman. The following chapter tells us the story of the Facebook logo. Honestly, when I thought to make special mention of the staff of Tubal-Cain earlier as it relates to Zuckerberg and that fake social network movie, I had no in inclination to swing this around full circle. And yet, here we are, back on the Facebook bandwagon again. It's a rather long passage, but nothing here is to be missed. I mean, my heart would ache to my grave if it didn't make the director's cut. 
And I've already sliced and diced at so much. Chapter 13 divulges secrets of the hidden nature. So I think this is a rather long passage, but we will read all through it. Uh, chapter 13 through 16 of the writings of Abraham. Here we go. While Naamah was yet a child, great consternation fell upon the seed of Cain. For Arad, the son of Enoch, the son of Cain, had become a member of the secret combination and was privy to all its secrets. Until one night when Yahuwah appeared to him in a dream, saying, Irad, thou hast done evil instead of good, and hast followed after Satan rather than Elohim. Wherefore, I shall destroy thee in thine house when I send in the floods upon the earth. But Irad was pricked in his heart and pled with Yahuwah to show mercy and preserve his seed through the great flood. Seeing that his penitence was true, Yahuwah said to him, Irad, if thou wilt repent and reveal the evils of the secret combination to the sons of Seth, I will have mercy upon thee, and I will join thy seed unto the seed of Seth, that it may be preserved through the great flood. Wherefore, Irad went forth and began to reveal the secrets of the sons of Cain unto the sons of Seth. That's just like what's happening today, guys. Lamech being Master Mahan at the time, so just swap out Master Mahan with Master Mason, found Irad sitting in his garden with Joram, the young son of Irad, and slew him. The writings of Abraham, chapter 13, 1 through 5. Pause. Master Mahan, Master Mason. Isn't it fascinating how the sons of Seth were not privy to the hidden secrets of the ancient mystery religions? If you don't find that titillating, then really I can't help you. That's exactly what is happening on the motionless plane today. We live in an epoch when the hidden secrets are being revealed to the sons of Seth, and those who reveal them are being knocked off for it. Continuing. Thus Lemek slew Irad for the sake of the oath of the secret combination, and he slew Irad's son with him. The writings of Abraham chapter 13, verse 6. See what I mean? Loose lips sunk ships, even back then. Continuing. But Tubal-Cain, the son of Lamech, had followed him and viewed his evil deed which he had committed, and he revealed it unto his mother Zillah, and she unto her sister Ada. Wherefore Ada and Zillah confronted Lamech with his evil and cursed him in the name of Yahuwah for having slain Irad, who had repented of his wickedness from among the sons of men. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech shall be seventy and sevenfold. Lamech's wives, therefore, feared to confront him further, but Lamech repented not of his evil deeds, and finding his son Tubal Cain at prayer, he slew him for having revealed his murders. When Ada and Zillah, the wives of Lamech, learned of this, they took the remaining sons and daughters and went unto their father Canaan's city and revealed the remainder of the secrets of this evil combination among the sons of Adam. Thus did Naamah come to dwell among the sons of Adam, and she grew up before Yahuwah in righteousness and was known for her tender care towards the sick and the unfortunate. Nevertheless, she had not husband because she was of the forbidden race. The writings of Abraham, chapter 13, verse 7 through 14. Once again, we are told why Naamah was incapable of taking on a husband. You know that by now, but it's worth rehearsing. Though raising her as one of their own, no Sethite would marry her in order to preserve the messianic line. Reading a little further on before finally concluding. Chapter 16. Thus did Noah take to wife Naamah, the daughter of Zillah, the wife of Lamech of the seed of Cain, and she bare him a son whom he named Ham. And thus was the curse preserved in the land through the great flood. For when the patience of Elohim was ended, in which he did grant a space of time for repentance unto the sons of men, the floods came in upon the earth and destroyed all flesh from off the face of the earth, save eight souls only. For Noah and his youngest wife, Ada, and his three sons, Shem, Japheth, and Ham, and one of each of their wives, were preserved in the ark, which the angels had instructed Noah in building. The remainder of the righteous had died or been caught up into Enoch's city prior to the time of the flood, and these eight were saved. All right, hold on. Noah had another wife, and her name was Ada, perhaps. It's 
not what I think, though. From all the evidence I can find, Noah only had two wives. Remember, slim pickings. It was probably difficult enough as it is finding three purebred women for his sons. I already told you that Imzara may have not been her birth-given name. People had multiple names or changed their names all the time in Scripture. Imzara simply assures the sons of Yasharel that the Messianic line was preserved through a Sethite. Ada is the Hebrew word for adornment. Who else had a wife named Ada but Lemek? Small world. That would mean Ada, at least Lemek's Ada, was the aunt of Naima. That is my conclusion at any rate. Imzara is Ada, or perhaps Ada is Imzara, but more than likely the first. And before anyone protests, no, no, it says Ada was his youngest wife. Remind yourself again, who was the younger of the two? Naima or Imzara? Both in biological and adoptive terms, Noah married his grandniece and great aunt. Ham's mother didn't make it onto the ark. All right, so that is the end of that whole kooky episode. And um, I'm curious what you guys' thoughts are. I, You know, over the last several months, I was explaining this before we began, I've been trying really hard to take all these different books and bring them together into one narrative. And of all the issues I have found, the biggest one that I have not been able to solve is why every single book um, from Moses to uh, Jasher to Jubilees to Tales of the Patriarchs, the writings of Abraham, they all take the orders of the sons of Noah and they change, they swap it up. And it's so bizarre. I don't know why they do it. Um, it's one of those things, again, like if, if I were a scribe and I'm, you know, I, I'm writing a book, whatever, like I would look and get that order right. Like Shem is the oldest and then, then Japheth and then Ham or whatever. But I, I can't explain that. But I was, I was really excited when I did the math on Imzara and Naima, and I saw that, um, you know, that it fits perfectly, that Naima is way older than than Noah and yet she had Ham at the perfect you know the, the numbers lined up and then the younger wife had the first two before he even married Naima it all fits together so um again interested what anyone thinks you guys can jump in um comments questions anything that stuck out to you now the one thing I wanted to add uh was when you're talking about the timelines uh also when we when we had compared even the Masoretic the Septuagint and the Aramaic uh in Genesis of yeah. the generations none of them matched uh yeah. each other so that that was you know another discrepancy of of time and timelines so yeah that it makes you you, you wonder uh if uh some of these were either not uh, copy correctly or what, but yeah. Um, but I did My... like. Go, go ahead, Rob. Yeah, I was going to switch topic, but go ahead if you were on that. Well, yeah, my my belief it, going through all of this, and I I I made the. If you guys remember, um, you could go back on YouTube and look. Uh, about three months ago, I did the paper. I did the episode where I read my paper on the sons of Seth theory versus the sons of Elohim theory. And as a quick refresher, the you know if you go to seminary, you're very likely to be told that the sons of Seth theory is the right one. That there were no angels that came down and had intercourse with human wives. It was just the sons of God were the sons of Seth. Um, my conclusion now is that according to Moses, that's the accurate view. And those are fighting words. But if you actually read what I uh, came up with, um, I actually show that they're both correct. That the watchers did indeed come down and take on human wives and have giant babies. But the sons of God, the sons of Elohim is actually a reference not to the watchers but to the sons of Seth. 
And it all comes together with the Aramaic Targum. I've just given the ending away. My point is, is that when you're reading the Torah from Genesis uh, through Deuteronomy, my conclusion is that Moses really holds back. Like, he's not as interested in a lot of the supernatural explanations. He gives, uh, you, you start reading these other books, like you read Jasher, and it gets wild and crazy really quickly, and Jubilees too. Um, and and so I don't know, I don't know why Moses holds back, but he does. That's just, it's like I, I, I brought up like the, the idea of Naima, right? That that was the daughter or the, you know, related to Tubal Cain. And it's, it's like, why would he include her in that genealogy? Why would he just bring up this random woman among the sons of Cain? He doesn't explain and he's always holding back. Anyways, so, but that's what really excites me about reading these extra biblical books that it has really taught me that, um, that, you know, it is like the proverb that is Yah's right to conceal a matter and it is the honor of kings to search it out. So uh, go ahead, Rob, what were your, you were going to go on a different uh, tangent. Yeah. uh, Well, to add what you, you did with the uh, sons of, of God there, I thought was excellent because uh, in our in our studies, I know I have with Michael, we we find a lot of the discrepancies. Sometimes the answer is they're both right. It's just uh, yeah. trying to discern or or figure out how and 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 pull the right scriptures to see it. Because if if both diametrically opposed viewpoints can actually use scripture to hold ground on, then then there's got to be something that's that is deeper or layered into the into the scriptures. So, and what you did, I thought was excellent because that was that was tying them both in, and the way you did it, I, I don't know that that I really like that. Um, I uh, again, can, before you shift gears, can I just uh, do one thing on that? Um, I have, as you guys know, I have twin boys. They're seven years old. And they're very, they're honest seven-year-olds. They don't come and they don't, you know, breathe lies to me, but they fight a lot. And if anyone has a couple of kids, you know, like they always, they will, you know, somebody hits somebody. And if, if someone gets hit, you know that the other person did something to get hit. Like, you know, th- there was probably a lot of like stop and annoying behavior and like someone just like, Ugh, and like, and the other person starts crying. Well, then they come to me and they, they both give their side of the story and I'm like, I'm listening to one and then I'm like, okay. And then I listen to the other. And I'm like, that doesn't match up at all, but it, it takes a lot of time. But once you start putting them together, you're like, okay, I see how that fits. Like you guys were telling a story in your favor, but they actually both fit together. And the, the gospels are the same way. And a lot of these texts, and I've pointed out before that, when I was writing my history on the Flat Earth Movement, the Unexpected Cosmology, which then became the the, the website and the channel and so on, um, if I were to, if, if four or five other people were to interview all the same people or a great number of the same people, uh, they, would, they would all be coming at it with different pieces of information, facts, and different perspectives. And if you were to line them all up, like, you would go like, how is this the same? Like, these look contradictory at first. I mean that just that's just the way it works. And so when you're taking all these different books together, if they are uh factual in any way, it, it, they really do they they really start coming together. It just you got to work through this stuff. So go ahead Rob, what, what was your next um Yeah, the next one I wanted to um ask you about is the um the city of Enoch. Uh we're talking about when the the before they went onto the ark, uh, how I think it was uh you you mentioned was it Nema that and or was it I can't who was it again that went to city of Enoch was it Nema? Oh, let me look on here. Uh, I was trying to search that. I couldn't find it. Yeah, um, it did say that in the I can tell you. That in the the writings of Abraham, which I did think it, I think I said it on here, that it said that before the flood, many ascended, 
uh, to the city of Enoch. Oh, yeah, I found it. Yeah, the remainder of the righteous had died yeah. or been caught up into Enoch City prior to the time of the flood. Yeah, yeah. and these eight were saved. Okay, uh, it reminds me of, uh, I believe in Jasher, I think it was in Jasher, where it talks about, and through Yah's righteousness, uh, the he uh, the righteous had, were, had passed away or were... I forgot the term it used, not killed or either way they died. It more or less said they died before the flood so that they didn't have to suffer that. And when we, when you when you line up Jasher with this this book here, uh it makes sense that either they were either they died off or they were taken to the city of Enoch, the righteous ones. That's all it's, I just wanted to pull that together. It's really crazy how many people ascended to heaven like this or to paradise the third heaven like this is a Melchizedek pastime and you know I, i've commented on this before that uh it wasn't just enoch and elijah and then like yahusha like it's it it's this long line of long line of people like we see in the aramaic targums where uh i don't i can't recall her name at the moment one of the daughters of it might have been one of the daughters of asher they're all like the patriarchs are on their way to Mitzrayim to Egypt, and she is actually spared what is going to come, and she actually ascends to paradise. And she's like, "Bye, guys," and she just goes. And so, in a lot of ways, you know, I feel like like duped that you know I was told my whole life in the Christian church that you're not good enough, that you could never aspire, that you could never. You know, you could never be obedient to Yah enough to to you know be anything beyond scum, right? Um, and that's not what the Bible teaches me. It teaches me that there were people who truly were righteous that honored Yah, and they didn't see death, and they they went up to the city of Enoch. We see the city. We see it called. You know, just so everyone knows, the city of Enoch is is New Jerusalem. It's the same city, or the city of Elohim, and um. I did a, for those of you who remember, I did a whole thing on what I called the once and future uh, Jerusalem, which is kind of a play on the once, uh, the uh, yeah, the yeah, once and future king of uh, King Arthur, and showing that, uh, showing passages from Second Baruch, but also the writings of Abraham and others, that the city of Elohim, the city of Enoch, New Jerusalem, whatever you want to call it, was actually on the earth at one time. And I actually believe it was on the earth before the creation week. And of course, something happened that it was taken up. But anyways, does anyone else have anything? I got one one more. Um, wanted to mention that the seed of Cain was preserved. And depending on you know, people's views on that, but it, it shows the, the love and the righteousness uh, of Yah giving, giving people that choice to come to him and we see that the the nama was was the one that was chosen and she was a righteous descendant of cain and he gave grace and mercy uh unto her and preserved that line so i just i just find that amazing yeah yeah and um you know a lot of a lot of people they 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 ask a question like, well, a lot of people ask the question, well, wait a second, if he preserved the line of Cain, didn't that defeat the entire purpose of the flood? And I, I don't, I don't, my, my only conclusion is, well, no, it, it doesn't, that this is all a part of, this is all a part of the, you know, Zen Garcia causes the great contest. This is all a part of the, the, the kind of the debate or the, the, I don't know if we want to call it a game, but whatever is going on between Satan and Yahuwah, in order for Satan to play his role as the accuser, he's got to have his his players on the field. He's got to have his opposition. And um, so, yeah, it, it was just, it, it's it's almost like what we see with Job and, and so many other things that uh, he preserved it just so, so it could, the, the whole narrative could continue. I don't know. Yeah, well, as as Robbie said, all all attest to prove our love. Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, if if Yah's gonna like, think of it this way, guys. Like, 
Like we all, like we all want to spend an eternity with Yahuwah, right? Um, and and the Most High is like, well, wait a second here. Like, if if you guys are going to spend an eternity with me, I need to make sure that you guys are are going to love me. Like, you're you're not going to try to like kill me. Like when I turn my back, I know that sounds grotesque, but we actually see that with uh, the Tower of Babel narrative, where people were actually like, "We're going to go up there and we're going to kill the guy." Uh, and I actually believe, and, and you guys do too. I mean, we we all kind of come to the conclusions that's probably something CERN and NASA and all of them are doing now. They probably all want to kill the Most High, and um, so that's why we're here. It's a test, you know. Can can the the wheat and the tear be together? And uh, before we're separated, you know, who if he if 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 Yah allows Satan to put all these uh, tripping hazards in front of us, will we still choose to love the Most High, or will we, you know, choose the world? If we're going to choose the world, then uh, clearly we don't really want to spend an eternity with Him. So now I could move on to the next paper. It's it's been an hour. Or if anyone has anything else they saw, was anyone? <laughs> You know, offended. I mean, it's like it—it's clearly like you see Yahuwah going and telling Noah to go take a second wife. Um, you know that—that that that's an issue for some people. Some people have brought that up as an issue of concern for me. No, nobody. Good crowd tonight. All right. It'd be—it'd be cool if um <clears throat> if a female were to uh, comment on how they feel about that whole situation. Because that's usually, I would say that's usually the person, the people who have the strongest opinions on it, right? They, they're like, "How dare you? How dare you?" <laughs> but it's like, it's it's right there, and it's right there in scripture, all over the place. And it's not like, you know, men are just lining up to take extra wives. Like it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, and if anybody, if anyone has any comments or anything on that. Otherwise, we'll just move on to the next, um, my next little episode here. Okay. Well, let's. Rebecca. Let's go. Speak, I think. Rebecca. Can you hear me? Barely. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm. Okay, I can't hear you now. Can anyone else hear her? Okay. No, no. All right. Okay, well, let's just go on again. I'm going to pull up my next paper. And I was looking at this. I really um, apologize to... Oh, yeah, Beth, you said I'm not offended by polygamy. Yeah, it's... I, I don't know, like it... I, I I would say that I'm not either, but of course I'm a man, and I guess I don't get that right. Um, yeah, and you and um, Tab says I I still say it wasn't Yah's intended design. Yeah. I, anyways, all right. So you guys could jump in on the mics on this too if you guys want to talk about it. Okay. All right. So that being said, let's move on. I'm going to drop this into the chat. I do apologize that of this terrible front cover. <laughs> I actually saw that picture, I think, in Paris, that painting. Um, but it actually kind of gives away the ending. I, I hope this is not too lustful of a painting. I really do apologize about that. Um, and let's see if I can pull up a PDF, too, if anybody wants prefers that. Uh, where did it go? Oh, here hey, it is. Okay. If I can make a quick comment, please do. Um, I I've heard uh, recently, I can't remember who. Uh, so many different channels. <laughs> uh, somebody making the distinction of saying polygyny rather than polygamy. Uh, polygamy could imply yeah. uh, multiple spouses. Um, you know, mm -hmm. going either way, whereas polygamy is specifically multiple wives. Yeah, that that's why I, I said polygamy. And I actually learned that. Yeah, I didn't learn that until I came to Torah. And I was like, oh, there's a difference. But yeah, so uh, 
polygyny is specifically one man with multiple wives. So yeah, the, oh, you can have it in a number of ways. You can have two women with with uh, one husband, or or I'm sorry, like one no that one woman with uh, two or three husbands, whatever. I think one famous uh, one is uh, Tilda Swinton. The actress, she's, if you guys ever saw The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, movie that Disney did, she played the White Witch. She actually, I think she's still with the same two, she has like two husbands, um, and she's a famous one in Hollywood. Um, all right. Hey, can so, I ask him? Go ahead, Dave. <laughs> I'm just curious, in your research, uh, unlike, you know, the orphan trains and like the babies for sale and on display and all that stuff like how early in our known history i mean is there any evidence of polygyny like did we repopulate the earth in that manner or is this all like pre-flood uh is polygyny just pre-flood or i mean are you mean or, pre sorry pre-mud flood yeah i yeah i think polygyny was a uh, a thing uh Definitely, it's still in Messiah's time. Um, it was it was still a thing. I can't say with a. Sh I mean, we still see we see books that the Roman Catholic Church were coming out with hundreds of years later, according to the official narrative, when they were talking, they were saying things like, "Well, a man is only allowed to have like three or four wives." Uh, as long as you can still pay your tithes, and so that was the big concern with the Roman Catholic Church. They're like, "Well, wait a second, if if a." Uh, if if a man has you know these wives he's he's not going to be paying tithes and i think that the the, the thing the, why the official narrative why the elites have gone so much against this is because when you actually find uh this is just a reality guys i i i i, I don't even want to say i'm justifying it by this i'm just saying the reality that i have observed is that polygamous families they are very conspiratorial they're against the elite, against the establishment, and they tend to live on their own homesteads. You know, they're not the tax-paying type. And and it that doesn't work for the people who want to rule the world. They need people dependent on them. They need the, the husband and the wife both going to work, sending their kid to, you know, the babysitting service. Um, you know, and you just you go through the rat race, you go to your Sunday church, you go to the soccer practice, you, you know, ballet practice swim school all this stuff you just you go through it all they, they want you in the system and um and so this is why i think that they there was such a uh, a push to turn against this when in ancient times it was just it was common practice that you would so also i've also pointed out that um i believe way way more people in scripture had multiple wives than even moses lets uh, tells us that the, the the Hebrew writers. If you guys were there for my uh, Aramaic Targum study, I showed you like how how Lot had multiple wives, and um, how I don't believe the wife that left with him was actually the mother of those two ch uh, the two daughters. Um, and I have a lot of reasons for believing that, but uh, they they wouldn't always the way that the the Hebrew writers were they were working. They they would just be like specifically with the genealogies they were only really concerned with um who was the mother of such and such child and we're going to talk about this person you know they would have um maybe there might have been two or three wives in a room and they're just talking about this this person and this wife and their kids um that's when you line up all the different biblical texts you seem to get that perspective so um all right yeah, if if you guys want to, if you you guys are you know going through the chat here and giving your opinion on this, you guys are free to jump into the audio. Um, I can take it if you guys are if you guys are against it. I, I can take it. I'm not. This is what I didn't want to do tonight. I didn't want to just get here and promote it because like <laughs> it, it like I I can I can guarantee you this video when it goes on YouTube. This video right here is going to drop my subscriber list. Like I'm going to watch probably I probably lose like four or five people. They will see it as like oh I'm unsubscribing from this creep right here. Um, and I'm just I'm writing this as a matter of fact. This is what I see in scripture. So I'm just not going to you know apologize for Noah having two wives, you know, or the fact that Lot had like three wives, or the fact that I think Noah I'm not Noah uh, Abraham had a uh, 
several wives. Um, uh, some after Sarah, but even I don't think Sarah was his first. I think he had uh, a few wives. I'd have to look at the actual number before Sarah came along. And when you read all these extra biblical books, and I should just do uh, a program one time where I take the writings of Abraham, and there are some things in the writings of Abraham that the only uh, witnesses we have come from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Like there are things in the Dead Sea Scrolls that are in the writings of Abraham, and you're like, "That's a, how is that possible? How could these people get these facts so right?" One of them is that uh, Ab- Abraham has a dream when he's going into Egypt uh, that it, it's a dream uh, where Sarah is represented by a palm tree, and uh, I'm going to botch this uh, now that I'm on the spot, but. You go to the tales of the patriarchs We came out of the Dead Sea Scrolls, it tells the same exact story. And you're like, how, how did that happen? 